Thank you for joining me on Turning a Moment into a Movement. I am your host, Jay Love, and I also represent the Justice for um, Gerard Movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not do, had no knowledge of, and Gerard recently passed. So all of this is dedicated to, to the work that we did with, for him and for others standing up for wrongfully convictions. And today we're gonna to be doing uh, for wrongful conviction, International Wrongful Conviction Day. We're gonna have a really great conversation. So I thank you guys for joining us. Um, I'm gonna bring on um, some of the guests and then we're gonna move straight forward into the conversation. Just one second. And I'm gonna bring on, of course, Revitia. <laughs> Hi, Revitia. Hello there. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here and to see everybody on. Hello to our Facebook and YouTube and all of our wonderful viewers. Uh, Jay, this is the day. This is, you know, we, you know, sometimes in America, we will just celebrate something, not really understanding the variables behind it. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's been uh, over a year now that um, you started out this platform for Gerard. And um, I tell you, this has been a learning experience for me. And it has also allowed me to want to connect and want to make change um, at every level. And of course, that change starts within. Uh, I am Tia, little John Taylor, and I am a minister at Transforming Love Community. I'm also a behavioral interventionist right now, working on uh, my PhD. Uh, I sit on a couple of platforms for social justice, and Michigan Coalition of Human Rights is one of them, uh, along with a social justice network. And most important, I am here always uh, trying to get people to understand that we do have a choice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm founder of the choice zone and understanding our choices, being educated in everything that we can so that we can make decisions that are beneficial to us. A lot mm -hmm. of times people do not understand at the many levels uh, that there is disparity and that our leaders, our civic leaders, some of our leaders, many of our leaders are not, they are inadequate. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. They're inadequate in what they're supposed to do, and that is to serve. And mm -hmm. if we are not serving the general population, if we are not, if our system is not doing what it is supposed to do, if it is not making any difference in justice, uh, we have to make change. And so many have been wrongly convicted. Many are still behind bars and they need to be free. 
And so I just thank you for the platform. I thank you for today coming on for this special occasion. Yeah. Yeah, Robert Tia. Um, it seemed like it's been a year, but it's actually this is our third one. This is oh, that's third. right. It is three years, isn't it? It's yeah. three. It's three years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we've been um three years. It seemed like yesterday. It seems like just the year. You know what? On my page, you know how how it celebrates uh annual. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at that and I said, it's okay. okay thank you. Thank you for that. That yeah, means that's, that. That's how we started on the wrongful conviction day. Three years yeah, ago. we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Thank you, Reverend Tia. Thank you. Attorney Hugo Matt, hello. Well, hello, hello, hello. You know, once again, my struggle with technology continues. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you fine, Attorney Hugo Matt. Okay, well, see now, I'm always scared, J Love. You know, you know, every Friday and, and Sunday. Now, Sunday, I be scared of two things. One, my technology gonna let me down, and J Love gonna kick me off the show. So, nah. so <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that, Tony Hugo. So, so, but, 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 you know, you know, uh, I just want to say, J Love, first of all, thank you for the woman of God and the godly spirit you have. You know. And my admiration and respect for you and what you stand for grows exponentially day by day, you know? you know. And the thing of it is, is that when I look at us, you know, we come together here and, you know, Jesus didn't have but a handful of people with him, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and one of them was a traitor. One of them was a punk. And so, 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 but still, still the man changed the world. With them few voices, that man changed the world. And so what I'm saying is when I when I look at you, I look at Reverend T, you know, I love Reverend T, you know, you know, she I'm 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 gonna tell you a story about me and her daddy one time. But anyway, anyway, so <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> uh, I, I love Reverend T, you know, and 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 being here because you know one thing, J Love and Reverend Tia, they're not gonna stop us from talking. No, you know. As long as the good Lord give us breath, they're not going to stop us from talking, you know. And I'm telling you, every time we see things, it's like this terrible decision, terrible decision from, from, the, from the Supreme Court. And I'm going to tell you this. The worst enemies we have are us, those mm -hmm. of us that have been compromised. Of course, you know who the Supreme Court justice is that wrote that opinion. Uh, you, do, you do know that. You do know mm -hmm. that. And I said, wow, wow, wow. You talk about a blue, you, you talk about a crow that thinks he's a bluebird. Wow. Wow. And and, and the thing of it is, I, I don't I don't mean a commentary, J Love, please forgive me. But but the thing of it is, is that it isn't somebody that's a sellout that is light, bright, damn near white. Okay. You see, what they did is they went to the tar pit of blackness. A man blacker than a mailbox. And what I'm telling you is, got him up there writing these decisions about terrible situations that affect people who look like him, you know, yeah. and, and, and skinning and grinning, you know. I just hope he got his sellout card if the Alabama police stop him one day, you know, and don't go upside his head before he got a, you know, I'm one of y'all card, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hugo, oh, I'm sorry. Hugo Mack is my name. Uh, criminal defense attorney, 
prosecutorial candidate in 2020, uh, swinging for the fences for justice as long as the Lord give me breath, not only for the wrongfully convicted, but overly convicted. And I love you and I'm glad to be on the show. I love you too, Attorney Matt. Hi, Allie. Hello, how's it going? It's going great. How about yourself? Doing good. Can't complain. I'm glad. Introduce yourself because you've got a lot of cool stuff going on, Allie. Yes. Um, Alexandria Hughes. I am the Supreme Court Coordinator with Michigan Liberation. I am also just a community activist, um, particularly passionate about mental health, um, the criminal legal system, and how those two things intersect, and creating solutions uh, that are safe for people and um, reduces harm without inflicting violence on the uh, individual affected by the harm. Um, yes, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. All right, let's break on now. Hello, Mr. Hakeem. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Um, I'm Abdul Hakeem. I'm a, I'm a paralegal in the Detroit area, and um, I, uh, I'm glad to be here to discuss today's topic. It's very important to discuss. It's a change of law that's going to impact us, and I'm ready to roll. All right. And let's see if Paula. Hi, Paula. Oh. <laughs> I think Paula's having. Hey, everybody. Time. Paula, introduce yourself. I don't. I think Paula having some issues with hearing us. You can't hear. Oh, there we go. Hi. <laughs> Introduce yourself, Paula. Okay, we're gonna come back to Paula. And we're gonna bring on our special guest attorney. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hi to everyone on the panel, Brother Council, everyone on here, good to see you. My name is Pamela Campbell. And um, I primarily do civil now, so I do a lot of 1983 cases, which are police misconduct, and now those coming out from being wrongful, wrongfully convicted. But as of late in the past year, I have actually taken on to do cases for free. I have a couple of cases going on now, trying to help um, a few people that were wrongfully convicted to get their freedom. So, um, and that's that's one of the reasons why I did that is because oftentimes people do it for money. And that's the thing back in the day when you had a Martin Luther King activism was about freeing people and it wasn't about a career. So that's a portion of my um, practice where I made it as um, a way for my pro bono or for my activism and my rent paid for being on this earth. So yes, this is a great um, topic. This is an important topic, and this case was trash. Just, <laughs> just to, just to uh, define it, literally, that case was horrible that we're going to be talking about today. But I look forward to the discussion. Yes. So we're going to bring Paula back when um, she's having some difficulty. So as soon as she lets me know she's ready, we'll bring her back. So we're going to go on. But I want to show. Just for the people who are who are not familiar, I'm going to show a video of what we're going to be speaking on today. So, 
Tonight, has the U.S. Supreme Court condemned an Arizona man to die despite evidence that his lawyers bungled his defense? A high court ruling today on that Arizona case limits challenges based on bad legal help. Team 12's Bram Resnick tells us why the ruling puts a spotlight on death row inmates who might be innocent. Bram? Yeah, Barry Lee Jones was sentenced to death for killing a four-year-old girl. But just a few years ago, a judge tossed out the verdict and ordered a retrial because of a shoddy defense. Today's ruling means that retrial won't happen. We like to think that there aren't any innocent people on death row, but there are. Professor Valina Beatty is a former federal prosecutor who switched sides to seeking justice for people who were wrongly convicted. One of the main leading causes of a wrongful conviction on death row is your attorney wasn't very good. Four years ago, a federal judge ruled the lawyers for Arizona death row inmate Barry Lee Jones bungled his case. Jones' conviction for causing the death of a four-year-old girl was overturned and a retrial ordered. The judge said, quote, there is a reasonable probability that his jury would not have convicted him of any of the crimes. But the U.S. Supreme Court decided that under a 1996 law, Jones' challenge to his conviction shouldn't have been allowed. Since 1973, 186 people have been freed from death row after they were proved to be innocent. Republican Attorney General Mark Burnovich has revived Arizona's death chamber after a botched execution eight years ago. Burnovich said Monday, the wheels of justice take time to turn, but they should not be stuck for decades. Frank Atwood is the next inmate scheduled to be put to death on June 8th. Atwood was convicted of kidnapping and killing eight-year-old Vicki Lynn Hoskinson of Tucson 37 years ago. This will be Arizona's second execution in two months. In Phoenix, Bram Resnick, 12 News. All right, Bram, thanks. Yes, guys. Uh-oh. All right. Back to the everyone. So, so today we're going to be talking about this um, Supreme Court case. Um, when I saw it, I was just stunned <laughs> by the information. Um, but I want to put this, I got some. So, Shin, Shin versus Ramaz was a case that was decided by the United States Supreme Court. And this case, the verdict came out the same day as Roe versus Wade. So it was kind of, um, no one was really focused on it because they was focusing on the Roe versus Wade verdict. But this um, verdict was um, related to the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. The court held that new evidence that was not in the state's court records based on ineffective system, assistance of post-conviction counsel could not be used in an appeal to a federal court. Attorney Hugo Mack, mm -hmm. can you um, yeah. <laughs> break this down for us? Well, see, part of the thing, and, and I know... Um, Sister Council's experienced this, this also. Um, part of the problem, and having been a public defender for 12 years, is a tremendous overload in cases. I mean, no, no, no question about it. You know, and 
some people have tried to counter. So, well, yeah, you know, uh, public defenders, uh, uh, you know, you know, overloaded cases, but that's a cost of being poor. You know, it, it's a cost of being poor. But in behalf of public defenders, I can speak for myself. The fact of being overloaded with cases is not an excuse for not protecting somebody's rights. Okay. Um, and so it, it's a situation for me where I would always preach to other attorneys, it's not about the paycheck. You know, it's not about cutting corners just so you can you can meet a quota. You know, we're not prosecutors, okay? You know, we have a bad day and an innocent man or woman could spend the rest of their life in, in prison. So in terms of the ineffective system of counsel, I mean, uh, the, there are already such stringent guidelines in terms of getting an ineffective system of counsel case even heard, uh, uh, Strickland, uh, you know what I'm saying? U.S. Strickland, I believe it was. You know, it sets the bar so high already. This is just a piling on, J-Love and, and crew. It's just a piling on because showing ineffective system of counsel is really like pushing a boulder up a hill. It, it really is, you know? So, so for me, when I hear somebody of color, particularly Karen's Thomas, shutting the door on people disproportionately look like him on death row it's shocking it is absolutely shocking and i want to tell you right now it is no coincidence that he that he wrote this all right it is no coincidence he wrote this so this is sending a clear message to black brown indigenous and poor peoples all right so um when i look at it the only thing i can say is it's for us to keep on working on a, on a local level, electing prosecutors and judges that are very sensitive to the issues of justice, very sensitive to the issues of mental health, and you know, will be able to help us stop an ineffective assistance of, of, of counsel situation. So um, it's shocking and, and, and disheartening, you know, and I'm, I'm still going through a, a, a stun of it, frankly, uh, J-Love. <laughs> Attorney, Attorney Pam. Yeah, I agree that it was strategic. Like, brother, that's the first thing I said was, oh, you get Clarence Thomas to be the one to write this decision. I think it was purposeful because who does it affect the most? Right. Who does it affect the most? So now we put this person as the forefront at that time, the only African-American on the bench. So we put that person as the forefront of it. Um, I do agree, but not to even mention the overload of the cases with court appointed, because um, I know some great attorneys that, you know, that that do court appointed work. Um, when I started out, I did a lot of criminal. Um, I never did it. Um, I never got on court appointed, got on the list, but I covered a lot for that same reason. I volunteered myself to cover because of the overload that they had. But also you have where the prosecutor has more. Uh, money. You got to ask for money for everything. I remember going in asking like, okay, they have an expert for this. Can I have money for an expert covering somebody um, for this? And then they come with $250 or something that you know you're not getting an expert. Plus you have the prosecutor has a lot of these people on lock because it's more work for the experts around here. So you, a lot of times you got to get them out of state. So you don't even have the resources. A lot of these attorneys don't even have the resources to even um, counteract a lot. It's it's just so much to it, and it affects our the African American and the urban, the poor communities 
more than anything. It's like they always find a way to keep you enslaved in some form. It, it, when you go back in history, you had, of course, what we know as just the slavery. Then you had where, oh, well, we they they um the Emancipation Proclamation. So now we're going to move it where if you commit a crime, we're just going to make a bunch of laws in the South where the, the black people are going to be the ones that end up committing these crimes, like preaching on a church service on a Sunday. And then they get incarcerated and then we'll use them as labor. Then they say, oh, we caught us with that. So now we have mass incarceration. So now this is just another pile on, as Brother Council said, because now we're going to have it where no, even if your counsel is ineffective, we go around and we talk about uh, pro-life. And then the same day, you turn around and say, I may have, innocent. I, I know that I have evidence that this person is innocent, but because of procedural errors, or procedural procedural reasons to now we want to separate state and and and, and the government or however you want to do it, um, we're gonna say we know he's innocent, but we're gonna still take his life anyway. That's preposterous. It's crazy, and I, I can't believe the the lack of outrage because mm -hmm. of this case. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's right. Mr. That's right. Mr. Adula. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I want to add that um, in my experience, it's not only been court-appointed court appointed attorneys, even paid attorneys have been negligent and or incompetent because they're overworked. It's no excuse. I have seen, and I'm not going to mention any names, but one of them, his client recently got a, a, a new trial on a second degree murder case. And it didn't surprise me who the trial counsel was. In one of those cases I had before the Conviction Integrity Unit, this same attorney messed up that case. And that's why we're back down on remand. So it's not just court-appointed lawyers. And like uh, Ms. Campbell says, some court-appointed lawyers do put their heart into it and they do fight for cases. The myth out there is that, oh, if you get a court-appointed lawyer, um, you know, chances are you're, you're more likely than not to be convicted. But again, I've seen in my experience where some paid lawyers did just as badly. What this decision, I, read, I was reading the Shin versus Martinez decision and they taught what the court said was you are not entitled to the effective assistance of counsel on collateral review, post-conviction counsel. What that means, we do a lot of that here in Michigan on six five hundred appeals. You know, the the majority wrote the opinion like it was narrow to post-conviction. Well, it is in a way that it you're not you you you've never been entitled to the effective assistance of on, on a 6500 appeal. Do I agree with that? No, because you know what? I think that from trial all the way to post collateral review, you should, if you have a lawyer, your lawyer has a fiduciary duty to represent you in his or her best interest. Um, they, but that's what this is. That's what this decision is all about. Is that, and, and what the court also said was that ex, unless the state creates that right to the effective assistance of counsel on collateral review, you don't have that right on collateral review. And on 6500 motions, you have to ask for an attorney. So you don't have a right to an attorney. So if your attorney screws up, which is what happened in this case in Martinez, the attitude is tough. If you're innocent, you get killed. With The state has a right to execute you. I don't agree with that decision. And then, you know, I, look, I also looked at the Sixth Amendment, and it says in every criminal proceeding, the, the accused shall have the right to assistance of counsel, I think it doesn't say uh, what it doesn't include. If you read the Sixth Amendment, it doesn't include collateral review. 
So this is where I think historically the courts have said you have a right to the effective assistance of counsel at trial and on direct review, like in Michigan, when you go to the Michigan Court of Appeals. After that, it's by application or, or by leave. So your, your, your ent entitlement to an attorney evaporates. So if you do hire an attorney, if you even if you hire your own attorney on a 6500 motion, and he or she screws up, you can't, you can't go into federal court and argue ineffective assistance on the 6500 as a result of this decision. I was going to ask about the uh, Sixth Amendment. Go ahead, uh, attorney. I, I just wanted to clarify. Um, I believe in this case, from what I read, though, it was the trial court was ineffective and the appellate the appellate attorney failed to bring up the ineffectiveness in the trial court. So it was kind of layered. Um, so it, he's right. It is the post conviction, but it literally was the appellate court. That's the only time because it didn't create that state level, that state record. So basically on a habeas, the federal court is not going to review or do an evidentiary hearing if it was not brought up in the state, in the state record. Alessandra. Yeah, um, you know, this is interesting because I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the court decision prior to this in 2012, um, Martinez versus Ryan, with the Supreme Court um, that create like the opposite of what this this uh, ruling is, is what uh, Martinez versus Ryan was. And it was a 7-2 decision uh, in favor of effective uh, representation, effective counsel um, at trial. And to see it revert completely opposite of that 10 years later, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's not good at all. Um, but I'll say too, um, also with the Supreme Court, I think a good thing to keep in mind is the fact that there was a Supreme Court ruling that created the right to counsel if you, like them appointing you a lawyer if you can't afford one. That is a Supreme Court ruling as well, way back in, back, way back in the day. But, um, you know, it shows the, who has the power, uh, who's creating the law, who's who's saying what's okay, who's not. And that hasn't changed much, um, you know, since, since enslavement of people. And in fact, this is a reform of slavery, all of it, uh, whether we want to believe that or not, but much of it is when you look at the numbers of who's incarcerated versus who's who was enslaved previously, um, and the demographics around that, looking at who was surveilled, um, <coughs> Velcro, for example, in the 60s and 70s. Um, they wanted to surveil HBCUs uh, aggressively. Of course, they, they did not end up doing that, but today they that all the surveillance police have, they surveil all <laughs> places, including black institutions and um, also do it free through social media without a warrant. Um, so in many ways, we're seeing the same thing we, we previously saw, but I guess the question is how do you stop it? All right, Paula, can you hear me now? I can, hi. hi. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Introduce yourself right quick before I ask your question. 
Sure. I'm Paula Ken Kensu, and um, I've been uh, advocating for uh, Temujin Kensu, my fiance, for um, about two and a half years. We we're supposed to get married like two weeks ago, but COVID lockdowns and everything. So I'm calling myself Paula Kensu because I should be married right now. <laughs> um, okay. And he's been wrongfully convicted for 36 years. Yeah, so when you hear this um, uh, hear, um, verdict by the Supreme Court, how does that make you feel, Paula? I was absolutely shocked and blown away hearing that. I was just like, how, why are we moving backwards here? You know, um, I don't, there's just no words, really. If if that's coming down from the Supreme Court, then what? I mean, how hopeless is it? You know, and 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 I mean, obviously, we're not going to give up. We're going to pursue every single avenue, and we've got several avenues that we're working on right now. My fiance Temujin was went through the state conviction integrity unit. For those of you that don't know, and he, um, you know. <laughs> He, I think he was the test case in his case is incredibly corrupt. There, there's absolutely no doubt that he's innocent. It's not one of these cases where, you know, he had some part in the crime. He was absolutely not even there. He was over 400 miles away. It was impossible for him to have committed this crime. And, and everybody knows it. I mean, literally, you would have to believe in teleportation in order for this thing to happen because, he didn't rent charter a, a, a plane and fly down 400 miles, commit the murder and then go back. It, it's just ludicrous. But um, it it's just it's very concerning that the state of Michigan, the attorney general's office, took this path to I, I, what they did to Kensu act, actually ends up hurting others. Um you know, there was a standard, there was a, um, a definition that they were using for new evidence. And they told us what that um, definition was at, a, at conferences, at wrongful conviction conferences before the unit was up and running. They followed up in writing with an email to um, Dave Sanders of Proving Innocence, reiterating what that, what that definition of new evidence was. And then after accepting Temujin's case into the unit, investigating for two years, coming up with the finding, a ruling of innocence, and then not releasing that ruling and coming back and saying, oh, we, we changed the definition. That's, you know, you don't, basically you don't qualify because nothing that you brought is considered new evidence. And there was definitely evidence that the original jurors never heard. And that's what the original definition said. They went back and scrubbed their website. So the website was, um, it was correct for a period of time up until I believe March, 2020. And then the attorney general changed the website after that. And we never went back and looked at the website because they were investigating all the, all that time. And um, it's just very concerning. You know, the corruption in the attorney general's office is just, it's so deep. And what's concerning for all of us is that if they'll do this to Kensu, they'll do it to anybody. And and now they basically wrote the rules and stacked the deck in their favor so that they can. Yeah. So 
Well, unfortunately, not the um, the issue. I think a lot that's going on with the prosecution's office and all of that is you have you do have all these people coming out and they are suing them. That's an issue that I've had in one of the cases that I had, and I think they're trying to somewhat cover it, which makes it a little bit more difficult because how do you deal with all these lawsuits? Of course, my response is if they were never wrongfully convicted in the first place, it wouldn't be an issue, <laughs> but um, that is something that they are. So I can definitely see them trying to switch things around. And um, I just kind of got familiar with the CIU this year. So I don't know anything, you know, past that, before that time or what the definition and all of that stuff was, but that's very interesting. Mr. Abdul. Well, I, I don't, I have, I haven't been up to speed on what definitions they've been changing and this and that, but I can tell you the results of the cases that they did release some defendants. They didn't declare none of them innocent. And I don't, you know, I'm not scared to say so. That's a fact. They released them on Brady violations. In fact, Kim Worthy herself prefaces every one of those releases with this is not an exoneration. So, but they, but their website, if I remember early on, their website said that it, um, the new evidence has to show that you're innocent. And I think it's probably still up there on their website, but they were, but again, they released these people and, and they, they fell short of declaring them innocent. They, they preface these releases, this is not an exoneration. Then they, they point the fingers at Detroit police who are corrupt, who did do some wrong. And what and, and so for economic reasons, it makes economic sense not to retry him. Let's just let him go. Oh, and by the way, we're going to dismiss the convict. We're going to vacate the conviction without prejudice. And as lawyers, Ms. Campbell and Mr. Hugo, Mr. Mack, we went over this before. A dismissal without prejudice on a first degree murder charge for which there's no statute of limitations is gives the prosecutor forever and always, if she wants to, or her successor to retry them. In fact, she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to retry them because she didn't give them a new trial when she let them go. If they get new evidence of their guilt, they can they can send these guys back to prison. That's, that's the purpose of a dismissal without prejudice on a first degree murder conviction. But, and I don't know why, when then you have people like Mr. Kinsu for which there's overwhelming evidence of his innocence and they, and, and they didn't let him go. When I say they, I know that was the attorney general's office, but guess who, guess who was behind the scenes and authored all that? Valerie Newman at the Conviction Integrity Unit in Wayne County, because she was she was assigned to that case as a special investigator, if you will. So yes, I call it corruption what you want, but I know one thing: there's no fairness in this. There's no fairness in this for what you know. Kim Worthy will not come out and say, "Yeah, I believe his, I, he's innocent. I'm going to vacate the conviction with prejudice." And so they got the, they're they're fooling these people, thinking that they they were found innocent. And they're running to the media saying, "Oh, I was found innocent," which is a grand lie. And it makes me sick to see this happening. So whatever definition they change, one thing is for certain, they haven't found none of those 30 plus people innocent. And so how do you justify keeping Kinsu in prison who is innocent and throw a procedural bar at him? Well, I think they're trying to do the definition well, too, that you had the statute that passed the Wicca statute that allows them to get paid a certain amount per year for every time, you know, all the years they're in prison. And so when you look at that, they did the definition in order to not comply with the Wicca so they don't have to automatically pay this $50,000 a year. And what's interesting, Wicca, I've read the statute, says <laughs> that the new evidence has to show that the defendant is innocent or was not involved in the crime. 
Wicker always said that. But here we have these, these, these defendants in Wayne County being released without a declaration of innocence. And behind the scenes, let me tell you this, because I also know that in the federal, in some of the federal civil lawsuits, Valerie Newman under oath testified that she admitted they were not innocent. So why did the taxpayers dole out this money to these people if they're not innocent? They're double talking. And it's an insult to the lay people out here that you're lying to the public and saying they're, they're innocent. When, the, when, you, when the, number one, no court or prosecutor reached that conclusion. And as a paralegal, even I know better. So the Wicca statute does require that the new evidence either shows that the defendant is, is innocent or wasn't involved in the crime. And, 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 it, and what's really going on when, when, when the prosecutor says, this is not an exoneration, I'm going to vacate the conviction without prejudice, and I'm going to, I'm going to blame Detroit police. She, and what she's not telling you is she believes there is some evidence that he was still involved in these crimes. And then they go up to the court of claims and file a claim, and they're getting paid. It's a, it's a brilliant scheme if you think about it. The taxpayers are paying these claims. And I, I will tell you something else. In some of those cases, one of the, one, two of those co-defendants, I was the one that got their convictions remanded on actual innocence. They go to the conviction integrity unit. They abandon the innocence claim in exchange for this dismissal without prejudice. And they run to the police and I was found innocent. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go along with with, with that lie and deceive the public like that. And if anybody's noticed, it's, 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 it has gotten to a trickle effect. In 2020, when Kim Woodard was running for re-election, so oh, she let the floodgates open. But I think this year she hasn't let anybody go since what January, February. Ravitia. Yeah, I'm telling you, this this is just it's it's totally ridiculous. It erases, eradicates any attempt at holding officials accountable, especially at the top court, at the Supreme Court level. And so here we are again, where minorities and because everybody who, most people who are wrongfully convicted also fall into certain social economic categories. And it's not the wealthy people who are wrongfully convicted. And I believe beyond a shadow of the doubt, just like uh, Attorney Pam said that this thing, this is, a, and everybody has said that it's a money thing. In the beginning, when you look back at this law, it was because of what's the guy named McVeigh who did the bombing in Oklahoma. And it was for anti-terrorism. Can you believe that? And it was it was initiated to keep violent prisoners from release. That's what they said it was for. But that is not who is being affected by this law. And then in a sense, what they're saying is we don't even care who's really guilty. We don't even care if the criminal is still out there. Even if the person is wrongfully convicted, they're saying that we don't care if we have 
the real answers. And we need to hold these officials accountable for even attempting to do this. And they did this when our eyes were being blinded by a whole nother uh, narrative. But we still have to fight. We still have to fight. And we have to know that <laughs> there is another way. We have to know also that these people need to be fired. We have to go to the polls. We have to talk and educate people. And we need to know that these laws are affecting people. It's at somebody else's cost. Somebody else is, is hurting while somebody else gets has advantageous life. They get to live their life. The more money you have, the more way a way out from any wrongdoing. Well, and see the the other thing is is this, you know, when we talk about electing the right kind of people, you know, uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, okay? Mm -hmm. And the thing of it is, we've got some people running for office now in Washtenaw yeah. County for uh, judges in Washtenaw County. And I tell you, the, uh, like, the uh, <clears throat> Dispute Resolution Center, uh, like, like, and, 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 and I know that, uh, that our, our own sister Alexander has been, been, been part of this also, you know, and when I listen to some of these folks talk, you know, you'd almost think they were, these candidates were a cross between, you know, John Brown, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, and Frederick Douglass, okay? You would think that to hear them talk, but far too often in my few years in this profession, I've heard that before, okay? I've heard that before and been sorely disappointed when these people have ascended to the bench. Sorely, sorely disappointed, you know? So, I mean, part of it is, and, and I don't say this in a discouraging way, but, you know, in realizing there's something about that robe. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I, I put my hat in the ring one time to wear a robe, okay? So it's something about that robe and some kind of a, a fellowship, brotherhood ship, sistership, or whatever that that tends to corrupt. It does. It tends to corrupt. And so, um, when I when I, when I look at that and realize that these in the state of Michigan, ninety nine percent of incumbents are reelected. Ninety nine percent. Okay. So with these judgeships in Washington County and so many other places. These people have essentially positions for life, for life, okay? So uh, part of it is, is our complacency uh, because we don't feel candidates to run against these incumbents. You know, people know it takes a lot of money, but yet the same people that are victimized the most, we tend to remain the most silent, you know? So um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's really gotta go organic to me like a grassroots situation of, uh, of accountability. And even after they get elected, you know, accountability there also. So I have a question for you, Attorney Mac, Attorney Campbell, and um, Mr. Hakeem. 
when it comes to um, these, with this decision, um, that, this, uh, um, that we're talking about, how would that show up or affect the CIUs, uh, you know, around the country that are working um, these innocent cases? CIU well, is own separate entity, from my understanding, is mandated by the attorney general's office. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, they they're very specific to let you know that the process in the court um, has nothing to do. So you don't have any appellate rights. You don't have any of that if they decide not to, um, it, uh, well, not exonerate you, but decide to release you based off of their findings in the CIU. Um, it's a whole separate entity that's kind of outside, um, outside of what the judicial process is. That's why for a lot of people that do their 6500s, they try to say, like, don't go there first, because if you give your new evidence and then the court rejects it, then it takes the hand away from CIU to have anything new. So I don't know how it would, maybe Brother Counsel could elaborate, but I don't know how it would directly affect the CIU. Well, in, in, in my opinion, this puts even more importance for the CIUs, okay? Um, because I agree with, with Sister Counsel that this is a separate entity from, from the prosecutor themselves. That's why with people in Washtenaw County, who want to file a you know, 6,500 motion, um, I encourage them and I'm trying to help them deal with the county's CIU first. Because you know, if you can get the prosecutor on your side with this, all right, uh, you've got a glide path to success. And, and once again, I mean, I, I agree, we gotta be careful what success means. I mean, for a, perfect, a person that is 100% innocent, Success should be vindication, period, period. Charges dismissed with prejudice, period, okay? Not just a case of we are, uh, it'll be dismissed uh, without prejudice. And uh, I believe as uh, uh, Brother Kim was rightfully saying, that means it can come back. It can come back. And, and society can still have that stigma on you, okay? Uh, of, uh, well, this is just a technicality. We all know he or she did it, but it's just a technicality. So that stigma will, in fact, you know, um, you know, continue with you. So the 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 attorney general, CIU, the county CIUs, all the more pressure uh, we need to maintain with them um, in light of this horrendous opinion by the Supreme Court. Yeah, I think it should be some type of, um, even in Congress, federally, a codification just because they find ways to codify what they want to. So you have some crimes right. that have federalized with the Hobbs Act based on interstate commerce under the Commerce Clause. I think through the Sixth Amendment, it shouldn't be a problem with codifying some way to help mm -hmm. those individuals that could be innocent. I think that's what the call needs to be and that's what we need to tell our representatives. I agree 100%. And, and on that line, you know, when I see um, in my own community that apathy about, you know, voting, particularly in this uh, 
off presidential year, you know, uh, the Democrats give me a headache, but the Republicans have offered me a lobotomy. So the that is what we need to focus on, because I'm telling you, if the Republicans take control, forget what Sister Council just said, that that is not going to happen. That is simply not going to happen. Ali, did you um, want to say? Yeah, so uh, a few things. So um, on the federal level, yes, I agree there needs to be change on the federal level, of course. Uh, you know, when I think about the Sixth Amendment, I also think about other things in the Constitution, the 13th Amendment, saying that slavery is not, and then slavery and indentured servitude is not allowed unless you are being punished for a crime. And in these individuals, in this instance, they are, according to the Constitution, being punished for a crime, and therefore <laughs> are subject to those conditions and, and being treated that way. So the Sixth Amendment, in a way, does not apply to them based off the Constitution. If um, they are subjected to those conditions, then they don't have the same rights as me and you walking around as we are. They aren't, they aren't included in the discussions. They aren't in a way, they aren't even seen as people that can make their own decisions. They're they're being controlled. Um, if if we're going straight off of the Constitution, so um, on a federal level, there there, I mean, there needs to be a revision of both to both. There's states that have taken away the slavery and indentured servitude portion of the Constitution. There's five states that have that on the ballot this year, and there's three other ones that have already done that. And once we remove that. I think we could start to have these discussions more with some teeth and um, have that as a sort of armor. And also our armor should also be electing the right Supreme Court candidate, electing the right Supreme Court justice to fill the two open seats. Not every state can vote in whose their justices. Some states can't even vote, they're appointed. But there's 30 states that have, um, that have an election process um, this November. Um, and that's what we have with ours. So, you know, I mean, that could be something the Supreme Court, Michigan Supreme Court takes up this situation on a state level, making it where we're protected on a state level, maybe not federal, but state. And the Supreme Court in Michigan can also petition to have a case looked at by the body of the Supreme Court. Um, so there is that option as well. Uh, and I think with this decision, and much like we're seeing with Roe, that is things we need to consider. Roe, uh, if it's passed that you know a woman has the right to choose Prop Three, if that is voted yes on passed, that's in the Constitution. After that, so what would that look like if it was in, if if we, what we're talking about right now was also applied to the Constitution? It would really be a substantial argument to stop all these things we're talking about with mass incarceration. Right, right. And I'll just, just quickly like to, uh, just to clarify, when you have um, the, the Congress has to have jurisdiction in order to bring it up. So the amendments that I was referring to when I talk about the six or even like she said the 13th, which would be applicable as well, they have to find some way to have authority in order to bring it. And that's how the federal courts have gotten jurisdiction over certain crimes such as, like I mentioned, the Hobbs Act. They say, oh, it affects interstate commerce. We have 
that we have authority over the, under the Commerce Clause. So now we can say whenever you commit a robbery between different states, then even though it may be state and they're supposed to have the, the their own sovereignty, we can bring it to the federal court. I think the same thing should apply to give Congress jurisdiction where because there are these rights guaranteed, you can codify other rights using by way of those amendments. So Attorney yeah. Hugo Matt, there's a question for you. Can you see it? Uh, you know what? I'll read it to you. Okay. This is from Nicole. Nicole, she said, I have a question for Attorney Hugo Matt, but I'm sure it, you know, the other attorneys can answer this as well. Does the prosecutor have to turn over evidence of a corrupt police officer's misconduct in a case that got someone wrongfully convicted and they knew this detective was in all sorts of misconduct and he went to get two more men, he went on to get two more men wrongfully convicted? Well, <laughs> First of all, Quite loaded. The, the, the prosecutor's got to, it's got to turn over exculpatory evidence. You know, a lot of times they try to limit that to police reports, but, um, you know, I'm sure sister counsel will, will, will confirm this, that you've got to dig further than that. Okay. You know, you've got to constantly be digging and digging and digging and digging because, because a police officer is remiss in filing and filling out a, a police report completely, you will never know that until you dig. You, you understand what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. so it seems to me the question seems to be uh, like a post-conviction kind of an issue. If, if the prosecutor's got to turn over evidence of a corrupt police officer that got other people convicted, is that is that what the question is? Yeah. 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 It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a strange kind of uh, kind, kind kind of a dynamic because it it shirt it, it it kind of dovetails into well there's there's a bad cop and and you know there's a bad cop Mr. or Miss Prosecutor and and you aren't telling us I mean part of that comes in comes into discovery also I mean if I've got suspicions about a bad cop you better believe I'm preparing that for cross examination also all right um, so. Uh, the, the the only answer I can kind of give in an abstract sense is that the more you dig, hopefully the more you'll find. And once again, it depends a lot on the integrity of the pro of the prosecutor because the prosecutor can turn a deaf eye, you know, uh, a deaf ear and a blind eye to those things also. So that's that's part of the corruption we're fighting against. Yes, Attorney uh, Campbell. And I could say, in my experience, I've had it where there was someone that was deemed corrupt. I think the public knew it was, it was about to come out about a week later anyway, but a lot of attorneys that had that had um, clients that this person was involved in, we got contacted about it. So I can say that the prosecutor, my experience has been that the prosecutor has done that in the past. I don't know if they still do that, but I've, I've had that experience where they've done that. Also, the Freedom of Information Act um, I've had it where even in a case that I have now that I'm helping someone with a wrongful conviction, I got way more information 15 years later than what was provided to that attorney 15 years ago. 
Wow. So it's obvious that they hold some things back. And as Brother Council said, you have to, I don't care if you find a receipt that looks like it means nothing. You have to go dig into that receipt. Names that they feel like uh, people that didn't really give much information, you still go interview and talk to those people. You get it. Having an investigator is very, very important when it comes to a lot of these cases. And you can you can really uncover a whole lot. And even if you try to look into some of the police officers, they don't like giving up. They do not like giving up any of their personnel files or anything like that. But I almost started compiling folders from between civil and criminal um, of certain police officers and affidavits that had to be withdrawn because they were posed to be liars. I mean, all of that, that I've been able to help other people that had those officers in those cases. So it's just you have to work hard and dig, like counsel said. Mm -hmm. There was a recent Court of Appeals decision in People versus Craighead. It was a case that, that came, well, it didn't come from the CIU. The CIU turned the guy down and he got he got uh, a victory at the Court of Appeals on that same issue that she put, that Nicole asked um, Hugo Mack about. This was a case where Barbara Simon, wanted, who, who, who was one of those corrupt officers down in Homicide, she had a history of framing uh, defendants and the Court of Appeals said in the Craighead case that was relevant and that was new evidence that that he was entitled to use to impeach this officer if the prosecutor decided to retry him. So yeah, it's called similar acts evidence where a cop, where an officer has a history of framing people. It is relevant. It's relevant, in, 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 but you got to, you do have to get the evidence, but you can use it. You can yeah. use it to impeach that officer. Because under, it's called 404B evidence. If the officer had did it in this case and they did it in case A, B, and C, and you're, and, and you're challenging your confession, that was, which was a bogus confession by the same officer, why wouldn't that be relevant? It is. And honestly, specifically to the city of Detroit, we all know the corruption that was going on in homicide in the 90s and the 2000s. So it almost seems like they should just be trying to look at all these cases. At That's this. why they were under consent decree. That yeah. Yeah, because if you look at all these exonerations, that's where they're coming from during that time period. The last they have 20, to be ready to admit. 20 some years. <laughs> they have to look into that stuff. Right. Look, Paula? and. and, and oh, hold on. I'm telling that. One second. Paula, go ahead. No, no. No, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Paula. Paula oh, can't hear me. Okay, go ahead, Attorney Matt. <laughs> Look, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to say no, something no. here. Uh, hello. Go ahead. I was just, hello? Yeah, yeah, I was wondering, I'm, I'm, um, what can we do to challenge the way that? Yes. Paula, go ahead. <laughs> I think we're on a delay. Go ahead, Paula. Paula. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we are. Okay, sorry. Um, I was wondering, what can we do about the way that Michigan applies the way, uh, the unconstitutional way that Michigan applies the first degree lifer law that you can be, yeah, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Everybody shake their head. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, Paula, we can hear you. Yes, come on. Okay. I, okay. I um, want to know why. why <sighs> okay. How can we challenge the way that Michigan applies the first degree life for law where you, or the first degree murder when you don't have to meet the criteria, but you can still be convicted? Like the 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 criteria for first degree murder is premeditation, forethought and planning. And if there is none of that in a case where somebody's innocent, how can we challenge that? Like in Kensu's case, there was no planning, premeditation, or forethought, but he was still convicted of first-degree murder. Was it felony murder? No, it was first-degree murder. And there was no planning, no premeditation, no forethought. None of that. Even the prosecutor in the case at the trial said, we don't know what happened in this case. We don't know how this, how this happened. Well, I'm sure in the, in the judge's instructions to the jury, he instructed them on the elements of first-degree murder, which one of the elements is premeditation and deliberation. Without knowing what the facts were in the case, all I, other than what we've heard in the news, that it was some some shooting. Was it a shooting or something in Port Huron, correct? It, it was. And I, I know that the jury instructions are that they gave at that trial are no longer constitutional. They're not, they're not used because they were found to be unconstitutional, that set of jury instructions. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It's a lawsuit, maybe. Probably, I would think if it was found unconstitutional, there is room to sue for sure. Any thoughts? <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, 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 okay, okay, but, but, but part of the dynamic, you got to understand with the with the appellate courts in terms of saying something is unconstitutional is that retroactive or is it going to be from that point forward okay so the, you know I'm, I'm sure everybody in this audience knows they have holes in the appellate procedure constitutional holes to drive a mac truck through all right you know harmless error is one of them you know for the, 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 uh, to me, the most notorious of them, okay, where they will admit, yes, there was an error, you know, but in the cumulative effect of it, it was, it was harmless. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if you say, you know, one domino falling is harmless when that one domino falling led to all the other ones falling, okay? So um, that, is, that is one of the problems you have and once again, you know, with, with the appellate system in terms of trying to go forward and, and formulate th those kind of arguments, I think everybody here knows the system hates to admit it's wrong, okay? The system hates to admit it's wrong. In the state constitution, you're, if, if, if you're convicted, you know, let's say circuit court of, uh, of break and entering, you have an automatic right to an appeal, okay? Not every state constitution says that. Michigan does that. So we can say that's something to be proud of. But when you get to that appeal, 
and you've got over 93% of those convictions being upheld, is that really a benefit you had? I mean, really, in the, in, in the long run? Or is that more just like a, a slow plea uh, on route to the penitentiary, okay? So um, what, what the system mentions is a, is a great dynamic, but the system is loath to admit it, it's ever been wrong, really. Yeah, instructional errors in Michigan are like Hugo Max said, harmless errors. So it doesn't automatically get you a new trial or out of prison because the courts will do the way they do a balancing effect. They weigh the the error against right. the untainted evidence. If there's still evidence of your guilt, they say, well, that was harmless. On the other right. hand, there's what they call structural errors, which is what you want, but there's very it's hard to get structural a structural error guarantee yeah. you a right to a new trial, like judicial bias or something. Um, like Brady claims, those are harmless error claims. You know, the police prosecutorial misconduct is a harmless error type of constitutional claim. This that gives that's that's why prosecutors it gives them license to commit misconduct at trial because they're not worried about an automatic reversal. So these it 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 involves a lot of legalese, whether it's structural or harmless. Um, but there's very at the end of the day, structural error, you're guaranteed a new trial, you don't have to show prejudice, harmless error, you have to show prejudice. Um, in addition to the constitutional violation. I think, I think, I do think civilly would be interesting. The reason why I said it would be an interesting route, I would have to like really think about that. But once you open up litigation, you're allowed to get more information as well. So it may end up being a backdoor way that helps you to get some things under oath, be able to put out some subpoenas. So what uh, Miss Hughes said, that was actually a, um, <laughs> something to really think about. Yeah. Uh, J-Love, if, if, if I could just say this, this okay. point here, you know, and, you know, we've spoken about ways to address this problem, and mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I just, I just have to say this. You know, I worked this, this summer trying to mm -hmm. get support for changing the laws in the state of Michigan in terms of good time, okay? You know, disciplinary credits, you know, wanting to get this on the uh, on the ballot for, for, for people to codify the draconian continued punishment of not letting people earn their way through citizenship and and, and, and what have you out of out of not out of the penitentiary earn their okay. So that did not garner the support. But what month did that did the reversal of Roe versus Wade come out in? Um May. Okay, May. Okay. May and 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 we're now into the early part of October, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. Do you know that in the span from when that decision came out, there there were over 700,000 signatures to put the issue of a woman's right to reproductive autonomy on 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 this November's ballot? Yes. Okay. No, my research showed that there has been no constitutional movement in the state of Michigan that has garnered that kind of support. So I say that to say this, is that we pick and choose as a society what really, really is important 
to us, okay? And it's it, it's something that um, has bothered me because it still shows that we we don't give the attention to those of us that have been forgotten, okay? You know, it has to be something that affects us personally right then and there, okay? Over 52% of the population in this country are women, okay? So, you know, that reproductive issue affects them directly. And so I understand why there would be great support for that, but I just don't see the follow-over um, for, for those of us that have endured wrongful and overly convictions, you know? Yeah, I want to say, too, that the reason why we got to look at the fact that we rally behind whatever's being mediated across the airways and all the different technology. We, we're, we're not going according to what we studied, what we read, what kind of data we have. People are choosing whatever is going across through the media. And then that's how we choose. We're not choosing with, with a conscious mind. We're not choosing to get the facts. Fact is that the people who serve time, most of the people who are incarcerated, period, most of the people on death row have been abused, have grown up in poverty, have intellectual disabilities, and have untreated mental illness. That's a, that's a fact. Right. And so to, to put this law is saying that even though well, really what they're saying is these people don't count. That's what right. they're saying. Right. They're saying that right. it does not matter because they are irrelevant. And until That's we right. say something different, nothing will change. Back to we what? We have to choose yeah. something else. We got to choose what we're going to look at. We have to choose what's important to us. That's yeah. Right. We have to see the humanity in everyone. Yeah. Go ahead, um, Alexis. Uh, I mean, not Alexis. Go ahead, um, Alexandria. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, as you guys are talking, or or um, uh, as you were talking to you, I just was thinking back to the Thirteenth Amendment. Like it kept coming back to my mind because you, as you were saying, these people have been deemed irrelevant, and that is exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's to a T. It, it's it's that that uh, except for in the case of punishment under the Thirteenth Amendment, it's working how it was designed, um, because that deeming of it as irrelevant, people rallying around around uh, things that directly impact them versus that which is immoral and harmful and 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 just it's not okay. It's wrong. It's unethical. Um, but you see the 13th Amendment playing out how it how it was designed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I also think, though, I don't know, I mean, call me an optimist, but I, I think the time we're in, we have a real opportunity to make some radical changes. Yeah. Just seeing since, I'll say since 2020, since, since then, there has been extreme shifts in politics and from both sides. We're seeing in certain cities, first time ever, Evanston, Illinois passes a, a bill for reparations for black people. We see a couple other cities do the same. We see California about to be the first to, um, to uh, give reparations to black people in their state. And um, 
seeing these kind of trends, but then also on the other end, seeing book burning, like in the city of Dearborn, um, uh, anti-gay, uh, anti anti-LGBTQ groups rallying to get rid of school books that mentions anything about um, not being uh, straight. Um, seeing Republicans do that in terms of Black history, we're in a in a time where there is there is there is an opportunity to make some major shifts. Is what I'm saying, and, and it's happening on both sides. We have to capitalize on this moment. Um, and I know it seems hard. It's a lot, and, it, and it's so frustrating. Like I know, believe me, but I know we can do it. I know we can. I just wanted to say that because I have faith in us. Um, we are powerful. We we have done some amazing things ourselves, and the discussions we're seeing on the table, the things we're seeing, um, the ask of politicians, what we're seeing uh, um, in terms of what's been on the ballot, changing, removing police departments in its entirety, that's happened in more than one place in municipal races since 2020, um, and that's because of us. Uh, yeah. I agree, Allie, because uh, even since I started, that was over three years ago, a little bit, I have seen a lot of changes because three years ago, I couldn't find anything about or or people who were dealing with wrongful convictions. I was going crazy looking for outlets or information. So and I agree there's a lot more information out now, more people are speaking up now. Um, there are changes, more people are looking at it. So I agree that we can, if as long as we continue to have these conversations and utilize our, our platforms and engaging people that we can make change happen. We can, I, it just takes work, it's not easy. I was saying that to Paula earlier to, um, before we got started, you know, Sometimes you feel frustrated, but, you know, change is nothing worth having comes by easy. I guess that's the saying. So we have to just continue to work and continue to press these issues. But we also, the more we educate our community, because a lot of people don't know. I didn't know, in, you know, in the beginning until I started educating myself. So the more we educate and the more we put out information, the more I think people gonna, you know, are eager to jump on board because these things are affecting your lives. Go ahead, Revitia. And and I was I was gonna say too that when we look at the economic part of those people, of people being scheduled, especially for um, execution, the, the thing is is that they have court appointed attorneys. And and the studies have proven that many of many of most of those court appointed appointed attorneys do not have the background, the knowledge, the wisdom, and the expertise to, to litigate execution. So again, there, you know, people are at another disadvantage. Yeah. You know, and so and I, I keep driving this home because. I want people to understand that the general population is at risk when it comes to our criminal justice system, when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to executions being being um, 
found guilty wrongfully, <laughs> wrongfully convicted, the general population is at risk. And the reason right. why is because it's easier to convict people who don't have economic power. And so I can't, I, I just keep saying it over and over again because we got to wake up and start to overturn these, these things that have, um, it's just amazing the power, the power to do something to economically impact positively people who are already making money, corporations, that's all it's doing. Is economically impacting corporations. And and we so, have, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Because no, we, I was we, just we, gonna we, respond to Rowia Epps because she's a um that's one of my good friends and she is a public defender and she also is married to someone that was wrongfully incarcerated, which was her reason for going to law school. And we met in law school some years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, her husband is out and they advocate as well for wrongful convictions. But yeah, we talked about that row when I said that um, the resources that, that they have just isn't even there. It's not even comparable to the um, resources that the prosecutors have. Mm -mm. That's yeah. true. That, I mean, that can't really be debate. And I also agree, we talked about earlier, and I know that there's, I think everybody should go to any forums that give you information about the judges. We have to stop putting prosecutors in robes. I mean, you're getting the same results. Like it's a lot of defense attorneys, like brother counsel said, that ran for prosecutor or ran for um, judgeship at, or some of these positions and they're more liberal minded. A lot of prosecutors are out for the win. That's been my experience. They're out for the win. And when they get their eyes focused, us, mm -hmm. when the defense attorneys, we're, we look at things with grace and mercy. We look at things in a whole different way. We're trying to find your innocence almost. But it's like with the prosecutors, they're the opposite. So people need to stop like taking for granted those names on the ballot and not looking at the backgrounds of some of these um, judges. Yes. Absolutely. That goes back to educate. That goes back. Oh, you can't wait to the last minute, you know, when you when it comes to voting, because it's about educating yourself, educating your community, your family and make it, you know, when you see these judges. I know I went to a judge's forum at um, uh, UAD Mercy and I was surprised to find out that, you know, when they were talking about it, they were saying how the judges um, mostly get elected through police unions and stuff like that um, because people don't vote for them. They skip that part on the ballot. And these judges that we elect um, have something to do with your everyday life. So that should be important enough for every, you never know what will have you in court. I never dreamed that I would be going to court fighting for my son's innocence. You know, so you never know. So that's why it's important when we get our this information about judges that we go to these forums. Alexander to Alexandria just had one recently, but we need to listen to these judges. Do I do our due diligence as voters because we're voting against our own demise in some cases. 
and don't just focus on last names too. That's like a big thing. Everybody looks at last names and then it's the same pattern. We have an, I know an attorney that changed his last name to his wife so he can be on the ballot because her name was known throughout the state of Michigan. This is recently, like literally on this November ballot. So. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Someone asked a question in the feed, and I think it was Nicole, and she was, when she was speaking on the corrupt officer, and her question was, can um, an officer be placed on a Brady list after his death? Wait, uh, can the after the officer's death? Yes. Is she talking about the Giglio list? Yes. If the officer that's apparently dead, well, he can't testify anyway. Right. Is it, <laughs> well, that Giglio list has, I, I, I thought, wasn't the prosecutor supposed to update it every six months? It is not. It's not even doing what it's supposed to. And, and Barbara Simon's name isn't on there and she's alive, and, but, but she got promoted to the AG's office. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, I think she had to. Um, there's, her a name, there's a lot of officers who should be on that list. I think when Barbara, um, when her name came up with the uh, exoneration of Larry Smith, she had to, she retired or whatever from the AG's office. Yeah, I'm one of the ones on the Larry Smith case in civil case, civil court. I did want to mention too, there is a judges forum coming up on October 7th. Um, if you go to uh, icpj.org, um, you'll see it there. Uh, but it, it's you know about how judges impact racial and economic justice, and it's hosted by Interfaith Peace and Justice. Um, and uh, I'm also um, assisting with moderation for that. Uh, but there are multiple candidates that will be questioning um, and giving opportunity for those to uh, who are in attendance to ask some questions uh, towards the end, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, it's virtual. Uh, I'll put that in the meeting or in, in the um, live uh, comments. But yeah, just, just wanted to flag that because, you know, the, these judges seem to, the spotlight isn't on um, the judge elections as much. And uh, that's also another reason why with the Supreme Court, we have to take advantage of being able to vote in our justices. Supreme Court justices are there for eight years and they can be there till they're 70. So they can just keep running till they're 70. Um, and there are some justices on the ballot who are endorsed by right-wing extremist anti-abortion groups, um, endorsed by Tudor Dixon, um, you know, and, and do much more. It, it, it's, it can be really bad if, if we let it. Um, so I just urge you to, to read up a bit on the candidates on the ballot and um, just pay attention uh, to, to what's transpired as we get to the election. Yes, I like this, um, what Ms. Epp, uh, Epps Ward wrote. Please do your research. Ask your lawmakers how they feel about wrongful convictions. So, and that's true. Um, when I 
uh, first started with my son, I was emailing everybody, lawmakers, everyone. And the only person who really contacted me back was Rashida Tlaib. And at that time, well, yeah, still right now until the election, she was, oh, um, she was the person who helped me a lot with like even getting health care for Jamar and, you know, advocating for us on behalf of his health and wrongful conviction, getting um, the uh, state ombudsman involved in his health care. Like, you know, we really had to fight and it, she, it wasn't on her radar. As a matter of fact, just one second. I have a video from her from from that time. Hi, everyone. It's Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. I want to take a moment and thank Mother Janice and so many others that have been sharing their incredible stories of wrongful conviction and the emotional toll it has had on their families. I want to also take a moment in understanding that right now our systems are broken that systemic racism is not only in our corrections and judicial system, but it's also impacting the economic divide and the broken systems of healthcare, education, and so much more. So I wanna take a moment and thank all of you for your incredibly important work. And thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing and fighting back against wrongful convictions. We need your voice and we need to make sure that we put a human face again to these broken systems and truly end mass incarceration and truly end systemic racism in our country. So thank you, Mother Janice, for leading the way. And thank you all to the mothers and to the uncles and sons and daughters and sisters that I've heard from. Thank you again for inspiring me to work even harder. Yeah. So we just had to raise awareness, contact, our leaders and ask them the question. I know I was on Ali's, one of your um, platforms, and I asked, like, what you, how you feel about wrongful convictions? If you're voting into office, what are you gonna do? Like, we need to ask these questions. Go ahead, Paula. Paula um, go I ahead. wanted to say we also need to hold the prosecutor. We also need to hold the prosecutors associations accountable. In Port Huron, Mike Wendling is the name of the prosecutor who is not acknowledging Temujin's wrongful conviction. And he was appointed in May, no, April, um, to the National District Attorneys Association board. So he's on a national board and he has a wrongful, the worst wrongful conviction in the state, possibly the country that he's not acknowledging. So I've been reaching out to the executive director of the NDAA and asking him if he's looking into this case. And why is he allowing a board member to sit on this national board that's supposed to have high ethics and in his very own you know, court in his very own county, he he's refusing to acknowledge the worst wrongful conviction. Yeah. Go ahead, Mr. Hakeem. Well, on the issue of accountability, I, like I've said before, we should, um, when you talk about criminal justice reform, 
there should also be a push to criminalize what these police officers are doing to people instead of this to keep taking on this attitude that we can throw money at the problem, give everybody a WICA payment. Meanwhile, these these repeat offender officers are still interrogating people in homicide. They still got their job. And I understand that they're unionized, but being a unionized officer doesn't protect you from criminal liability. Tampering with witnesses, which is what Detroit police are doing, tampering with evidence, which is what Detroit police are doing, are already felonies that you, and I, you or I would be charged for if we did these things. But for some reason, nobody wants to go there. That's taboo, talking about putting police in jail. Oh, you can't do that. So, and also, in the light of this decision by the Supreme Court, Martinez versus um, uh, this, this decision, uh, Ramirez. versus Martinez. Yes. One thing I want to point out here, maybe this is where the Supreme Court should write a rule into MCR 6.500. The Supreme Court said they do recognize a narrow exception to that rule, holding that ineffective assistance of state post-conviction counsel may constitute cause to forgive a procedural default, provided that the state requires prisoners to raise such claims for the first time during state collateral proceedings. The Michigan Supreme Court writes these court rules. The Michigan Supreme Court, in light of this decision, has the power and should write into MCR 6.500 a right to post-conviction assistance of counsel. That's not the legislature's responsibility. The Michigan Supreme Court writes the Michigan court rules. So in light of this decision, they can write that they can write that right into the court rule, which will give you a right to post-conviction the effective assistance of post-conviction counsel. All of the states are aware of the Supreme Court's decision here. So what, the, what this, again, what the U.S. Supreme Court said was, and they do, they do understand that you can have the right to effective assistance of post-conviction counsel, provided that the state gives you that right. So Michigan needs to step up. The Supreme Court needs to step up and write this rule, write this right into that rule. Yes. Otherwise, mm-hmm. in Michigan, you don't have a right to, to effective assistance of post-conviction counsel on 6500 reviews as a result of this decision. I wanted to um, make a comment on the, uh, <laughs> just thinking about police unions. Uh, it's arguable or it's, it's debatable whether or not they're a union, um, if I'm being frank. Um, they're not a part of the, what is it, the AFL, CIL. They're not a part of the labor movement. And um, mo- most of them don't identify with the labor movements and they don't fight for the same things as every other labor movement. Um, uh, even in voting patterns, um, the police and the way that majority of the, who they vote and endorse a lot of times. And I mean, we, we know either, both sides can have evil in them and, and a lot of times they do. But like when it came to Donald Trump, they uh, majorly voted in favor of, you know, having Donald Trump elected uh, while other labor movements went the other way. And many of them do go the more progressive way on things and on ideas, um, you know, uh, International Union of Police Association, um, which is like 2% of, of 
American police uh, is the only one that is affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Um, every other one is not. Um, but I just wanted to make that, that point because um, unions are separate from, of course, supposed to be separate from uh, the employment and all that, but there's a lot of times where police officers and all that will serve on the unions themselves. It, it's it's a different level of power uh, with police unions. It, and an everyday citizen union is nowhere near on that level. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, yeah, that's something. That's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's making me thinking about, um, think about what's his name? Um, the case that was in Minneapolis with a police officer. She was doing a traffic stop. I can't think of his name. Deontay, Dante, right? I Dante, right, yeah. Yeah, but she was a former um, union. She was the union president but she shot and killed this kid, you know, mm -hmm. but you're right. Um, they're on a union in name, but they are not in like labor. Union. Labor movement. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just try to keep it internal. It's like they're their own little city. So the stuff that they do, they try to handle it. Um, I remember when I used to go like to the, um, the board, the commission, the police board, when they used to have uh, commissioners, when they had their meetings, and then I knew the person that was like the attorney for the trial board. And some of the stuff that they did that you never were going to hear about it, even if some of the stuff was criminal, it only gets to us if it becomes major for the media to pick up. But mm -hmm. some of the stuff they do, we'll never know about because they keep it internal. And then they've tried to make it where you can't even try to request it. <laughs> to get some of their background information. But a lot of these cops got a whole lot of issues and they have, like I said, their own within that we never will see, that we'll never see. What I'm, what like, you know, is so like mind boggling to me is, is the things that we're asking for and the things that we think are demanding are things they benefit from too. You know, it's not like this is something that would just go over them and get rid of them and they don't get to benefit from it. No, if there is a mental health response team that responds to all mental health care crises and anyone in mental health need of any sorts, that is something that would benefit them too because they also experience mental health issues. Um, you know, it's it's not a, uh, it's a us versus them because they're making it a us versus them. It doesn't have to be, um, but it is because this is this is what you're giving us. It's yeah. The fact that they're unionized and they're indemnified by the city of Detroit is no disincentive for them to stop committing misconduct. This is why you have repeat offender officers like Barbara Simon, her name comes up, I can't help it, who, who over time and again commit, you know, they frame people, they, they, frame, they do it with no gumption. They don't care. They frame people, they commit all sorts of misconduct. And People, those officers don't pay those judgments. The city of Detroit does. It's got a surplus of monies that came out of bankruptcy. There's, there's no incentive for them to behave. There's no criminal or civil, even civilly, they're not personally liable. And this is why you have, you still, and, and the police officers, they know this. So the union mm -hmm. protects them civilly. 
can still be charged with criminal laws. And I still say they should be put in prison when they wrongfully convict people. But again, they're indemnified. They don't have a worry in the world about setting you up or setting you <laughs> to get to prison. It, it, that, yeah. it, that needs to stop. That needs to change. Otherwise, we're going to be we're going to have wrongful convictions from now until forever. It's yeah. going to be big businesses for lawyers, <laughs> but it, it's a shame. It's a sham, is what it is. Because we we've been talking about change, but you still got these police officers on the force doing this over and over again and getting promoted, getting rewarded for their misbehavior. Yeah, not just prosecutors, just the police. Yeah, because when you have a police officer with 8,500 complaints and he's constantly getting promoted, you're right. Where's the accountability? He didn't pay those judgments. He didn't pay right. those judgments. They're not paying. have numerous lawsuits. And still, there's no, they still go back to work and the citizens pay. So we, I mean, acknowledging wrongful convictions and trying to put things in place to eliminate them helps everyone not just the person that's wrongfully convicted and their families, but society as well, because guess who's paying? The taxpayers. Yeah, the taxpayers. Attorney Hugo Matt. Well, you know, I'm in with the choir, you know, so, <laughs> so uh, I, just, I just have to, every time we talk, talk about the element of self-hate, okay? You know, you know, you know, the element of self-hate and how I continue to run into juries in Washington County that are overwhelmingly white. Not, not, nothing against my white brothers and sisters. I mean, I'm, I'm not, but it, 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 it isn't so much the, the plethora of whiteness as it is the absence of black and brownness, put it that way, okay? You know, and, and once again, going into Ipsy and places I go where my clients are, perpetual argument. Man, I ain't got time for that, man. I, I got, I, you know, I got to do that and I don't want to be around the police. I can't send the police, you know, and, and it, it's, it's just a mojo in our community that, you know, it's, it's difficult. Talk about kicking against the pricks. It's, it's difficult to get people out of that mindset because see, part of the problem is, is in terms of, the black community, you know, people tend to commit crimes where they live and against people who look like them, all right? Part of the problem I run into is people are tired of having their houses broken into, they're tired of having their cars stolen, they're tired of being pistol whipped, you know, up on Michigan Ave. People are tired of those kinds of things. And so it tends to be like, I don't care what color the police are. I don't care if they got stormtrooper uniforms on, I want this stopped, okay? I want my wife to be able to walk to her car in safety. And if that means they come in cracking heads, then I'm okay with that, okay? That's the dilemma, you know, you know, you know we have. So what I try to convince people to do is then you've got to make a change on multiple fronts, okay? You know, you've got to make a change in terms of starting your community, you know? you know, you know, respecting ourselves and people who look like you. Okay. You know, and this thing about, well, nah, man, you know, we got a code against snitching. I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer for that because I'm gonna tell you one thing. If somebody break into my house, I know who it is. I'm telling. Okay. Okay. You see? <laughs> I'm telling, I'm telling. Okay. 
Um, so that's part of the problem that I see, J-Love, particularly with young black males, okay? You know, a distrust for the police, anger about the, the community, and that turns into, into a form of self-hate where we're, we're really destroying ourselves. And that reminds me of that case I was talking about on Friday and I shared with Tia about a year or so ago where that young man in Detroit was facing murder charges and rape charges. Come to find out he was innocent. Um, Lillian hired an independent, she had gotten, Lillian Diallo got an independent autopsy done. Come to find out the baby wasn't raped. It was an accidental death. And the prosecutor through their arsenal, they were ready, first degree murder, criminal sexual conduct, and people on social media had already convicted this man at, at his arraignment. They were ready, they were lusting for his blood, the self-hate that Hugo was talking about. And I, I was shocked to see the number of people in the city of Detroit who were ready to, to, for this man, to, to, they convicted him. <laughs> and come to find out, it was an accidental death. Like I said, there was no, he, the baby wasn't raped and the prosecutor dismissed the charges at preliminary examination. Thanks, thank God for Lillian. But just go show wow. that's the attitude that people were ready to execute him. Why? Because of the sensationalism. Oh, a baby. Oh, oh, you did it. That's the attitude. You know, I and I there's some crimes that are heinous that are just, you know, rape is one of them, and you know, things you do to minor children and, and elderly. They don't, you know, you can yell innocent all day long. Society will convict you and kill you for that. But that case was a perfect example of what I say when I when I say, you know what, I really believe in the presumption of innocence. Keep your mouth shut until you know the facts. You're not you're not even on the jury. You're on Facebook. You're not even on the jury. You don't even know all the facts. You just the, the man was the man was at his arraignment. Those are allegations. And to the legal ear, we understand what all that means. But it may I get so sped up. I get so sick when I hear people, lay people, ready to convict and hang people. When, and and, that, and again, that case was a perfect example. And um, yes, Lillian, yeah, God bless yeah, Lillian's a, Lillian's a, a good I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was saying Lillian is a great defense attorney. Oh, she's she's excellent. I I, I recommend her hands down. I sent the Carl Brunner case to her. Yeah, on Greenland from the Supreme Court, and and I she this was a murder case. She was ready in two weeks, and I said, Lillian, are you sure you can do this? it. <laughs> she's she's a star on her feet, and that jury acquitted yeah. her. And you know, I came from I, I I grew up in the days of Chokwe Lumumba, Jeffrey Edison, and all them. And um, I I miss that that breed of counsel who really put their heart into it and yes. fought for their clients. And we don't have enough of that anymore. We really don't. And maybe you know, times were different back then. I understand because maybe they didn't have the caseload that we have today. That the, you know, I mean, I'm overworked too. <laughs> but my I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, just. Be ethical. Just you know, do the best you can. I understand that, but she, I, I I love her dearly. <laughs> she's a she's a star in the courtroom. I I what she did to that for the, for that young man, I was glad that she got him the results she did. I I was too. She is a rock star. <laughs> Go ahead, Allie. I've seen her tangle with the prosecutor in court. That's what I love about it. You know what? I've seen judges try to referee and she's like, no, no, you're on a hold. No, no. <laughs> I love that. I just yeah. love that fighting spirit. Yeah. You're going to walk over on top of me because you think you came from some ivory league 
and, and you think whatever for you know she I, she's put, she puts it out there and I love that and you know what she gets her respect yes she does uh, I have something um it's it's not related to this but I, I was just thinking about um I don't know like sometimes I I wonder like well where where do I start with everything that's happening in the legal system? Because there is so many things. Um, and I, I just started thinking about uh, asset forfeiture, like civil asset forfeiture. Uh, because, you know, it's completely legal to seize someone's property um, if they like if you're an officer and you suspect them of a crime you suspect them not that they did it but you just think they did um seize their property house money all, all that you don't you aren't obligated to return it at all and the person does not have to be charged with a crime for you to seize that property and that's completely legal in 39 states including michigan um and i just think about that uh and how that you know benefits the police department and everything else in the legal system. Um, and that that's just is what it is. And it just, it's kind of like, it just sits there it's <laughs> untouched. Uh, and that should not be okay. And that's just stealing someone's stuff, legalized theft. <coughs> and, you know, that should be completely abolished. Um, again, it, it, it just makes me think of how we're incentivizing police officers just to do do these horrible things to people and get away with it. Um, and that's nothing we should be proud of. Like all those who call themselves like uh, all these, what judges and all that who think they're doing the right thing, all these elected officials, that just being in the books and and is, is our system, you should be trying to get rid of that ASAP if you really feel like you're a part of the solution. <laughs> yes. Um, Mr. Adele, did you have something to say? Well, it's not like she, you mean on the civil civil forfeiture cases where, they're, where you're not charged with a crime you're saying? Alexandra? She's muted. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's muted. Oh. Um, yeah, so like you don't have to be charged with a crime at all, like to for the officers to take your um, property. They can take it and you were charged with nothing and they don't have to return it. Yeah, those are, those are like civil in rim proceedings, they call them. And um, that comes up a lot in drug cases where even if, you know, if you're arrested for drug trafficking and they seize some assets like money and, you know, money and cars and property, the, even though let's say they drop the charges it is a separate issue if you will with the property because if they can it becomes a civil matter then and they can you know but i think you do have some due process rights they can't just seize it they have to give you notice and stuff and give you a right to go into court if you will and challenge it and but and challenge it as legitimate property right okay so yeah. you can't just seize it though they do have you do have due process rights to to get that property back I wonder what I guess I wonder what that would entail. I'm just thinking of I know like in, in my geographical area, like Dearborn, for example, um, they made a lot of changes in, in who they ticket, you know, not looking so much at um, 
you know, faulty equipment on your vehicle, not focusing so much on that, which has lessened the number of black people who were uh, over ticketed um, in the city of Dearborn. It has, but on one end, they've emphasized their focus on speeding and they claim there's a speeding problem in the city of Dearborn and that's where the police focus needs to be. Um, in that, they passed an ordinance on um, asset forfeiture. So, you know, I guess I'm kind of thinking, um, you know, seizing the vehicle, uh, kind of finding another way to funnel the system type of deal. Um, you know, I still have yet to do more research on that ordinance, but I, I do wonder what the process is to get it back. Um, if someone's car was taken or um, like, can you fight for it? Like what if it was an officer police misconduct and they weren't supposed to do that? Like how, how would you get your stuff back? Yeah, under the, under the taking, takings clause, they do have to at least you have to have notice. They can't just take, they're not supposed to just take your property. They're supposed to give you notice of, you know, court dates and stuff and give you a chance to go in and argue the, the legitimacy of the property and it's, that it's not tied to criminal behavior. So that, there's, the government can't take your property without due process of law. And part of due process is they have to serve you notice and give you court dates and give you an opportunity to go into court and argue the legitimacy of the property. Okay, I'll look into it. I feel like they've done that to us without notice. I'll, I'll see. All right, well, so we're going to wind down, and I want to thank you guys for joining us, uh, joining me, and I want to thank all the viewers for joining us today. Um, this was a very informational conversation. Uh, if anyone have any questions or for attorney Hugo Mack, there it is. That's how you contact him. You can send him a message there. Attorney um, Campbell, how can people get in contact with you? Just You're mute. muted. I'm on all social media, pam.esq, or my website is www.thelawintellects. Dot com. And uh, tell them about your show. Oh, I have <laughs> on YouTube, I have a show where I break down a lot of legal stuff that happens, I say, from the neighborhood to Hollywood. So a lot of things that are trending, a lot of cases that are trending, some of your celebrities and wannabe celebrities and whatever they have in the news. I break it down from the legal aspect. You know why some people do it from the gossip aspect. I do it from the legal aspect on um on a lot of those cases, but it's over on YouTube and it's Pam ESQ, The Law Intellect. Yes, and it's so good, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Make sure you watch it. Um, Mr. Abdul Hakeem Abdul. Abdul Hakeem, I don't know why I'm saying your name backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I know your name. Where, how can people get in contact with you? Legal. Well, by my email, I don't have any websites and stuff. I work with a, a, a law firm, but that, that work is separate from what I do here. Legal underscore Beagle, B-E-G-A-L, 01 at sbcglobal.net. Yes. 
Then Allie, um, you got an event coming up. Yes. Um, so on October 7th uh, at 5 p.m., um, there will be a judicial candidate forum um, hosted by uh, Interfaith Peace and Justice, uh, moderated by myself and a few others from Michigan Liberation. Uh, we will be talking about um, how, uh, you know, the judicial system um, and racial and economic justice are intertwined, who is impacted. Uh, and yeah, and hearing from the candidates um, on the ballot this election. Yes, so that's important, you guys. Make sure you tap into that, and um, that'll be posted on social media as well, right, Allie? Yes, um, you can go to icpj.org, or you can check the Facebook um, comments of this live video um, for that uh, registration information. Right. And Paula, hi, Paula. Before we go, what hey. what's coming up next with um with Tendigen's case? So right now we are actually we have a lawsuit against uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel in the Sixth Circuit. Uh, she filed a motion to dismiss. Um, we submitted an amendment. I think our attorney's still working on replying to that motion to dismiss. Um, but Temujin's cases before Governor Whitmer um, for clemency. So that's where we're at right now. And then we're going to look into potentially challenging the way that Michigan applies, the unconstitutional way that Michigan applies the um, first degree murder statute, as we discussed earlier. All right. What's the heading? What's the pleading for the case that um, you have against uh, um, the AG? Like what's on the caption so I, or the case number so I can look it up and read it. Paula. Paula. You you Sorry, muted. Sorry, I couldn't. <laughs> okay. Oh, you couldn't hear me. Do you have the case I number or hear. you get to do you have like the case number or even you said it's in the sixth circuit was there a question for me yes yeah. can you hear me do you have a case Does number it, Paula? i think it's district i, I don't have district. a case number i can can you put it in the district chat? court i don't have yeah i can you find can, it if it's in the sixth that's the circuit court so it's in the appellate process no it can't be because it shouldn't Paula, can you, his case, are you sure it's in the Sixth Circuit or is it in federal district court? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I thought it was Sixth District. It was, city, uh, you know. It's Temujin Kensu, Kensu versus Dana Nessel. Is it federal or, or is it in federal or state court? Um, the attorney is Keith Altman. But is it in federal court? Is it in Detroit or Cincinnati or Grand Rapids? No, I think it's in Detroit. That's federal court. That's district. Court. Oh, it's in the Eastern District. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm no, not used to all these courts. District court. Mm -hmm. how, how do you spell his name? Paula. Yes. T E N T E N. Tell Tennis his name. 
T-E-M-U-J-I-N. Thank you, Paula. So we, I'm going to be um, getting back with you so you can come on and update us on what's going on so we can keep that going, you know, that information. Okay. Out. Attorney Hugo Mack. Well, thank you all again. You know, um, every time I get my battery recharged, you know, listening <laughs> to y'all and, uh, you know, you know, to keep on, keep on going and, uh, you know, we only lose when we stop fighting, you know? We only lose when we stop fighting. So, Sister Counsel, it's good to see you. I don't know if we've ever met before, but a uh, pleasure to be on with you. And, you know, Akeem, Ali, all, all of y'all, you know? And it's uh, it's uh, Paula, Tia, Tia Little John, all of you. And, uh, hey, and hey, we got somebody upstairs pulling for us. His name is Gerard. Don't y'all forget that. That's why we're doing this work, you know, to you know, to continue Gerard's legacy and to continue bringing awareness for wrongful um, convictions. So, yes, thank you and thank you. And so we'll be back on Friday, you guys, and um, I'll talk to you then. And have a good evening. Good night, everyone. All right. Good night, All right. Blessing. Bye. <laughs>